You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. From the author of the book by the same name, it's The Best Saturdays of Our Lives Podcast with Mark McRae. By the grace and efforts of the ESO Network, Best Saturdays of Our Lives Podcast was able to attend this year's SC Comic Con, South Carolina Comic Book Convention here in Greenville, South Carolina's premier comic book convention, certainly the upstate's. Uh, we were able to attend in a media capacity. Mark McRae sent me with a whole lot of great questions to ask a few of uh, some of the people who we're the biggest fans of. Two of the guests that were interviewed by Dan, I was there in spirit, but Dan was physically there, right. was Bill Gallier and Tom Cook. And Bill Gallier is actually mentioned in my book because along with Dan Parent, they created one of my favorite one-shots through Archie Comics called The Carnies, yeah. which was about this great group of carnival characters, you know, having fun and adventure. Tom Cook was someone that I heard about pre-pandemic that I wanted to meet for a long time. He has a long history of, of working in animation for all the big companies, Hanna-Barbera, Filmation, and I, I definitely wanted to uh, talk to him about a few things as well. Yeah. I mean, Dan, you would agree that we got some really great responses from these guys. Oh my gosh, yeah. No, both Bill Gallier and Tom Kirk are absolute treasures. Got to speak with Bill Gallier twice on day one and day two. Mm -hmm. What do you say we bounce over to the audio of, of, of that first interview? All right, sounds good. Bill Gallier is an American writer and cartoonist who has worked for Archie Comics for several years. He has written hundreds of stories for the publication and continues to do so today. His list of works includes stories for Archie, Betty, Archie and Friends, and Sabrina the Teenage Witch, as well as several stories which appear in the many digests uh, Archie Comics produces. Is that, uh, is that accurate, Mr. Y Dawson? That is accurate, yes. It's nice to meet you, man. How you doing? Thanks. Good. It's nice to meet you, too. I'm doing well. Excellent, excellent. How's your SC Comic Con experience going? It's going well. It's uh, great to be back at a Comic-Con, and things seem to be doing well here in Greenville today, and nice to be here. Yes, yes, indeed. So, a few general questions. Uh, is there a comic book artist writer who inspired you to write and draw comics? I would say um, yes. I always enjoyed Archie as a kid, um, you know, interestingly enough, and Dan DiCarlo's stuff, Stan Goldberg's always enjoyed Excellent, excellent. Uh, how did you get into the comic book business? Well, I went to the uh, Joe Kubert School, and um, I went to a local, I'm from Louisiana originally, I went to a college there for a few years, and we had an uh, instructor there who wasn't your usual run-of-the-mill college art teacher. He was actually had worked on um, the Marvel, Shazam and the Marvel family back in the 40s. His name was Marcus Swayze, and he did a lot of stuff for Fawcett, and so he came in and taught a class one semester and I really enjoyed it. And so then I, after that kind of gave me the kickstart to go to Kubert school. So okay. the Joe Kubert school. So I went there and I actually Dan parent and I were classmates there. And then when we finished, we both um, started doing freelance for Archie at that time. Okay, cool. So you went to art school, had a not so conventional art teacher for a semester who was from the comic book business. And that's what made me, 
yeah, I decided to go to the Joe Cooper, leave Louisiana, go to the Joe Cooper School in New Jersey. Okay, cool. That's very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, do you have a favorite Archie comic character? Jughead. Jug, gotta be Jughead. Yes. Gotta be. You know, if I had time, I'd scroll through my phone and I'd show you some of my own Jughead. Not quite cosplay, but uh-huh. you know, you go to Burger King, you get the crown. Oh, yeah. Always got a Jughead. There you go. Always got a Jughead. Yes. In the comic book, Die Kitty, Die Hollywood or Bust, uh, yep. featured the return of the Carnies. Oh, yes. That you created with Dan Parent in 92. Yes. yes. Would you ever try to revive the Carnies full time? We would like to. We've talked about it. The, the way the Carnies actually came about was a was I did it as a uh, assignment at Hubert, Joe Kubert School. And so then it was kind of in the back burner. And then Dan and I decided to try it as a uh, comic strip, which didn't work out. That was in the ni- early 90s, I think. And then we did the book, for, talked to Archie into doing the book for them. And then we did it for Die Kitty Die. So, yeah, it's something we talked about doing a Kickstarter you know, on that ourselves. So it would be a lot of fun to do that. Yeah, it would. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, what new projects are you working on? Well, right now, let's see. Just the general Archie stuff. Um, penciling stories, doing some covers, and um, that's a lot of fun. So um, pretty much the standard stuff right now, but I'm always looking for something new. Sure, so. sure. Well, one of the things that came out of the interview, I didn't know that Bill Gallier went to school with Dan Parent. They both went to the Kubert School, right. which is uh, sort of the gold standard for comic book artist that was established like around 1976 by Joe Kubert. Supposedly, 80 to 90 percent of the graduates from that school get industry jobs. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. The only requirement is, is that <laughs> they have to study and work hard, like <laughs> like maybe eight to 10 hours a day or something crazy like that. But I feel right. like it pays off. I think when the school was first established, it was a two-year program, which was really intense. And the powers that be decided to make the program like maybe three years. Okay. Right. Right. A little background on Joe Kubert. He was a legendary artist who made his mark at DC Comics drawing Sergeant Rock, who, which was like a, a war comic book. Oh, and, yeah. And co-creating yeah. the Silver Age Hawkman with yeah. writer Gardner Fox. He's a legend in the industry. And uh, it's just really cool to find out that Bill Gallier and Dan Parent uh, go as far back as the Joe Kubert school. You know, well, that probably speaks a lot to the uh, the great dynamic and quality that came out of their their partnership with right. Archie Comics. Right. Yeah, and Bill was just a real, uh, a real, real nice guy. Had a great booth, mm-hmm. and he asked if Dan Parent had drawn your caricature on your business card. Yeah, yeah. And I was so... like, yep, yeah, pretty sure he did. <laughs> and he did. Yeah. So I've known. I've I, I first met Dan Parent back at San Diego Comic Con. I want to say in 2012, and I brought up the Carnies, and he seemed to be pleasantly surprised that I remembered something that was, you know, that probably goes back to the early 90s. Yeah. He was doing a panel with uh, some other, you know, professional artists and writers. It was actually a gay panel that was talking about gay characters in comic books. He has this really cool service where if you send in a photo of yourself, you can 
have it archified or archified yeah right. and uh so he'll make you look like an archie comic book character uh so so yeah that's cool It'd be great to get dan parent and bill gallier in the same room one day <laughs> you know mr gallier mr parent a standing uh invitation to, for dinner mm-hmm. by the best saturdays of our lives podcast right. to anywhere you want to go in the greater atlanta area or uh, the south carolina upstate mm-hmm. hey right. hit me up yo <laughs> Oh my gosh. Did you ever wonder why there are 24-hour kid networks? In my book, The Best Saturdays of Our Lives, I write about how Saturday morning became a competitive business and the proving ground for what would become the 24-hour kid network. My book covers the Big Bang of the 1960s explosion of high ratings to the early digital age of Saturday morning's last hurrah, the 1990s. You can purchase my book by going to thebestsaturdaysofourlives.com and I will ship you a signed copy. I have the power. Yeah, you do. Oh, hey, thanks, dude. Thank you. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. I had the power uh, invested in me by Mark McRae to approach Tom Cook, uh, an animator and timing director known for an entire list of what you grew up on, what you as an adult groove to, and what you as a child right now are just discovering. Yeah, like I said earlier, uh, Tom Cook is someone that I wanted to meet like a while ago. And again, circumstances being what they are, I could not get up to South Carolina Comic Con to meet him. But, you know, uh, I did the next best thing by asking Dan to talk to him about some of the things that I would definitely talk to him about if I actually met him. So let's check out that interview. Yeah, let's do it. Well, we are privileged and honored to be here with Tom Cook, uh, animator and director of so many of our childhood memories, so many of our adulthood memories. Hell, so many of our memories, period, we owe to Mr. Cook right here. Just to name a few. We're talking to Scooby and Scrappy-Doo, Thundar, The Smurfs, uh, the Super Friends Legendary Super Power Show. You want me to keep going down the line? Here, why don't you name off a few more? Well, we got He-Man, She-Ra, Brave Star, Fat Albert. Ghostbusters, Duckman, Extreme Ghostbusters, and a bunch of others. And a whole ton of others, yes indeed. So, uh, Mr. Cook, uh, is there an artist or animator who inspired you to get into the industry? Well, uh, not really to get into the industry, but uh, I grew up uh, with uh, DC Comics, and then in 1961, Marvel Comics came out, and Spider-Man changed my life. That's the reason I wanted to learn to draw. Uh, I collected comic books when I was a kid, and uh, so I, Steve Ditko, who created Spider-Man, and Jack Kirby, who created most of the rest of the Marvel Universe, uh, and I actually worked with uh, Jack Kirby on Thundar. That's right, because he helped out with some of the character design on that. Yeah, and uh, you know that was one of the highlights of you know walking down the hallway one day, and here comes Jack Kirby down the other way. I had no idea he was working there. But uh, so that's really, those two guys and Stan Lee, just for his writing, uh, made me wanna draw. And I got into the animation business purely by accident. I took a college class in comic book art so I could meet the teacher. Well, the teacher worked at Hanna-Barbera and he liked my superhero work and said, we're working on Challenge of the Super Friends I can help get you into a class to learn basic animation. 
And three weeks later, I, I, later I got hired by the studio. Well, that's incredible, amazing. Hey, go to school, get a job, everybody. That's what it's all about, right? That's right. Excellent, excellent. Um, are there any advantages, challenges, or disadvantages animating in-house, like the Filmation Studio strategy, versus animating overseas most of the industry? Yeah, well, obviously, uh, sending the work overseas in 81, that really destroyed a lot of studios. They uh, sent all the work out, and that was it. They closed their doors to us. Uh, thankfully, Filmation kept their doors open, and uh, that was He-Man and Shira in those. But uh, Lou Scheimer, you know, could have made a ton of money if he sent the work overseas. Right. But he was, you know, this is America, this is American art form. Right. you got to keep it here. So... Uh, so it was much preferable to, uh, I did some work through the mail when I moved up to Seattle and uh, that worked well too, but I could no longer do animation. I had to do like key assistant because as an animator, you have to like show the roughs to the director and then they okay it or not. And to do that through the mail was just too hard. Right, yeah, no, uh, de definitely. And you know, good old Lou Scheimer, right? Made in America. That's right. Uh, since you bounced around many studios, do you have, uh, did you have the option to work on Deke's Ghostbusters versus Filmation's Ghostbusters? Well, Deke's Ghostbusters was one of those that was animated out of the country. Okay. And it was a non-union shop, oh, so they didn't pay union wages. And it was actually one of the guys that worked at Filmation that broke off and started his own company. What advice would you give animation students trying to break into the animation field today? I give this advice to every panel I ever do because they always ask that question. Go to law school because that way you'll have a job. <laughs> hey, there you go, kids. Listen to there. So, Extreme Ghostbusters was a departure from the real Ghostbusters in production and character design and tone. Uh, did you have an opportunity to shape any of the creative changes for the Extreme Ghostbusters? No, I was a director on that, so by the time it got to me, everything was already designed and you know, the story was done. Um, but the interesting thing about that is he was the first, uh, there was a character, I think his name is Eddie. Maybe I'm wrong. But he uh, was in a wheelchair. So he was one of the first wheelchair bound superhero okay. type. A differently able to uh, yeah. animated hero. And it was, yeah. And uh, it was really kind of a big deal. I, I hear from a lot of people at the sh shows when they come by that that really inspired them when they were, you know, stuck in a wheelchair and they uh, really liked that show. All right, now here's a bonus question. Bonus. Uh, involving uh, Tom T, the director of Brave Tom Star, Brave Star Movies. How do you pronounce that again? Tataranowitz. You know, thank you so much. I was my, trying to wrap my head around it all night. Now, I think I've heard somebody say Tataranowitz, but we always called him Tataranowitz. He was actually the shortstop on the Filmation softball team. Are you serious? Yeah. I was the coach. Oh, no kidding. So I, I got to know all the different departments. Because usually, if you were an animator, you sat with the animators, and those were your friends. Right. You didn't really get to know the storyboard guys. Sure. But we had, you know, Tom was on the, on the team. Uh, we had people from camera department. So I got to know quite a bit uh, varied people from the studio because of that softball team. It's inside so ball, everybody. Tom T. I'll, I'll give you All the right. scoop. Uh, he had mentioned uh, in, in reference to the Brave Star movie uh, how difficult it was to do 3D back in 87. 
uh, in an interview from the Best Scenarios of Our Lives book, uh, page 131. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? The early days of 3D, where we're going now? Well, I can remember uh, Filmation got the first computer to be able to shoot your, your uh, animation. You, to test your animation to see if it was timed right, right, you would take it into the video department and then they'd take half a day to get everything done and then call you in. Okay. Now we could go over and just shoot it all ourselves and we could shoot it on twos, which means two shots of each drawing. Okay, sure. And then you could look and say, well, it doesn't work. It's not quite fast enough. So you'd shoot little parts of it on ones. You could do it just right there and there, you know. Right. And so that was really the, the first inklings that animation was going to be invaded by computers. Okay. And in Brave Star, they had uh, a um, CAD system where they could design some of the vehicles. Okay. And it's all wireframe. And okay. it was nice because one of the hardest things to do is when you're animating a car going off in the distance, to keep it so it doesn't look like it's shifting. Okay, sure. You know, sure. so they would give you a wire system of a couple of different poses so you can make that smooth turn. Okay. So, but as far as, uh, I don't remember any 3D in the movie, um, but I'm sure that's kind of what he was talking about. Finally, 2D versus 3D, what's your preference? 2D. Of course it is. Well, 3D, look, it's great, but now you need a model maker, and the person who does the animation can't draw. I mean, maybe they can, but But you don't have to. It turns a pencil pencil to paper, you don't have to. Yeah, so the good part about it is you get a a down shot of a character doing something. In 2D, it was really hard to draw. Right. Well, now you just do it from the side, move the camera, there you go. And you got it. It's 3D. all modeled right there. Yeah. Right. So. Okay. But for me, 2D, 3D, it doesn't matter. If the movie's a good story, that's right. It's going to be good. That's right. Because there have been really good 2D movies and there have been really bad 3D movies. Right. So it could be either way. Content. Content is king. Yeah. We've talked so much about that in regards to He Man and all of that. You know, a lot of the 80s when violence was restricted and you know you could show someone punch the camera you could show someone flying backwards you can't show someone getting punched so you had to really fall back on that story yeah absolutely where can everyone find you on out there on the internet well i have a facebook page tom cook animator if you look me up it'll usually pop up Uh, i had a website but it's been up for so long that it finally is outdated so i've got to redo it okay and i will at some point and uh It'll be 80sanimator.com, 80s animator. Oh, okay, cool. And that's kind of my email address, too. It's 80sanimator at gmail.com okay. if anybody wants to get a hold of me and invite me to a show or something. Well, I think we'll be trying to get a hold of you here uh, in the future, have a more robust conversation. Awesome. Get Mark on the microphone. Hey, Tom Cook, man, thank you so much for uh, spending some of your time with us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I really love this interview with Tom Cook. I mean... You know, he brought up some really great things, you know, about the whole business of animating in the U.S. versus animating outside of the United States, where the animation is sent over. Well, Lou Scheimer, man, made in America. Firm believer. Yeah. Right, exactly. And keeping jobs in America, too. Animation jobs in America. Right. So a while back, the Annie Awards actually gave Lou Scheimer 
a special award. It was a service award. And that award was mainly for keeping, you know, work in the U.S. and being sure. a service to the animation industry. And I think it was so well-deserved. I also got an education. I had no idea that when work was sent overseas, that meant that talented people like Tom Cook couldn't necessarily work on the animation. Yeah, right, right. So right. I, I, I just thought that there was still parts of the job that animators had to do in the U.S. Sure, and, sure. Um, and then the work got sent overseas. And so I had no idea that, um, you know, that a lot of the animators trying to make a living in the U.S. sort of got cut out of the process. I cut out of that. No, that was real, that was a fascinating insight. I thought so as well, that, you know, at least something would be done here to at least set the tone or whatnot for what they're doing overseas or to clean up or last minute modify mm -hmm. what was sent out. Right. And so that was, that was an eye opener for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And the other interesting thing was that, um, he talked about Tom T and the Brave Star movie and the fact that, uh, the movie had some very early, early 3d elements and, right. And even more important, I now know how to pronounce uh, Tom's last name. Which Go is, for it. Uh, <laughs> Let's hear it. Let's do it. Let's do it. It is uh, Tataran. <laughs> it is Tataranovich. Tataranovich. Yeah. Anyway, so that's cool. And I've known Tom for, for many, many years. When I was doing the newsletter and he was on my mailing list, I sent him a copy of my Brave Star newsletter, and he, in turn, sent me a VHS copy of the Brave Star movie with, with a personal note. Now, here's the thing. I didn't know that the movie even existed at this point. Sure. And he sent me a VHS copy of the movie and with a really nice note about my newsletter. So that's how our friendship started from that. Yeah, and I also picked up something from Tom Cook's booth as well for you, Mark, oh. coming in the mail here eventually. <laughs> oh, so. surprise, surprise. I can't That's wait. Right. Huh. You can't, can't go to a con without getting getting some souvenirs, <laughs> getting some swag, especially when it's coming from Tom Cook himself. Yeah, yeah, that is awesome. Yeah, Tom Cook, everyone, animation icon. We are the Earth Station One Podcast, and we approve this message. Hey, I'm Judy, and I've been a listener of Earth Station One for over 10 years. Yeah, every day while Mike edited together over 550 episodes, you know all that geek-themed blah, blah, blah. I've listened so much that now I hear howdy in my sleep. You, too, can enjoy all the Earth Station One fun wherever fine podcasts are found. Okay, Mike, I did this for you. Are we going to get another dog now? The Earth Station One podcast. Over 10 years for geeks by geeks. Well, you know, as you know, SC Comic Con is a two-day event. And I was able to get back with our dear, dear friend, Bill Gallier, on the second day. Because we had some follow-up questions. A few more things that we wanted to uh, kind of pick his brain over, get his thoughts and ideas on. Yeah, I was glad that we had another opportunity to talk to uh, Bill again. And ask some more questions. Oh, yeah. And he was so gracious. So great. Mm -hmm. Here's the audio of that. We are once again joined by our good friend, Bill Gallier, here at SC Comic-Con. How's your day two going, man? It's going well, thanks. Excellent, excellent. Uh, so we got a couple of follow-up questions. Okay. Because Mark just loves everything you do and in your work. Do you have any editorial oversight at Archie Comics? I do not. I mean, I can offer my opinion on things, but... Uh... 
pretty much the editor handles that. But I mean, they're always open to input, which always is nice. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, and I'm guessing, you know, open to pitching story ideas, bringing back long lost characters like uh, Veronica's cousin Leroy and yeah. such. Yeah, like uh, I've used Leroy in a story pretty recently, uh, Betty and Veronica's story. So it's always fun to bring back those old stories. I penciled one a while back with Cricket Odell, which was an older character too. And I know um, even Cheryl Blossom, who was Dan DiCarlo created in the 70s, I believe, and was around for a while. And then she had kind of faded in the background and then, or 70s and 80s. And then in the 90s, when we, Dan Parent and I proposed the uh, Love Showdown series, we brought Cheryl Blossom back for that, and she's been around since then. So, um, anyway, that was a comeback character. Right, so we have, we have you to thank for Cheryl Blossom, man. Right, right on. Me and Dan. Yeah, right on. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. All right. So, Mark and I have been kind of uh, wondering about something uh, involving the origins of Alan M. and uh, and Fred from Scooby Doo. Mm -hmm. uh, Alan M. from Josie and the Pussycats was originally published in August of '69, from as far as we can tell. Uh, can you, can you guesstimate when Dan DiCarlo could have created the character, May, June, July, 69, and any possible deadline? We're basically trying to figure out what might be a chicken and the egg scenario between Josie and Scooby-Doo. Right, yeah, I'm not sure about that one. I, I, was, yeah, I gave it some thought, and I know Josie actually came out, the comic book came out like early 60s or mid 60s, and because I think they were looking for a whole new set of characters with a female lead, and so that was Josie and her friends, who weren't the ones that, I think Melody was in there, but not Valerie. So I'm not sure if Alan M was in that original group or not, that be, that morphed into the Pussycats when they need, when Hanna-Barbera won another television show. So um, anyway, I don't know, it's something I'll have to research and check if Alan M was around before Josie and the Pussycats, but yeah, they're, I never really thought about it, but I can see that that Fred Allen M kind of connection there. Yeah, no, and and you know, what's been driving Mark nuts is online. People will say like, "Oh, well, Josie's a rip off of Scooby Doo," and it's like, no. If you yeah, add up the she dates, was around way before. Yeah. And actually, this is—I don't know if if who knows this, but the character Josie was actually based on Dan DiCarlo's wife, who um, her name's Josephine. She was French. She, they got he met her in, during World War II, and you know she came back to America with him. But he actually based the character on his wife, Josephine. So I assume she was a redhead when she was younger. Right. Well, there you go. There you go, all of you Josie haters out there. <laughs> Think about that. Um, and finally, in terms of the broader Archie universe branching out into live action, are you, do you watch Riverdale or The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix? And any thoughts or opinions on that? I, I watched uh, the first season of Riverdale. I, 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 have to admit I hadn't watched past that. I keep planning to catch up on Netflix, but it's it's a little different than the the books I was used to. But I think it does get uh, the characters out there because I have people that come by, parents and the kids at the table here, and the parents will say, "Oh, I read this when I was a kid," and the kid will be like, "Oh, that's like Riverdale," and they'll kind of you know okay. discuss yeah, it. Yeah. Right. So it does draw attention to the classic books, I think. Right. And uh, as far as Sabrina. I did watch a few episodes of that. I didn't finish the first season of that. And I always enjoyed the Sabrina character, but it's, I always kind of like the sitcom because it kind of was like that bewitch kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, Whereas yeah. Whereas the, the Netflix series was going 
a little darker. Pretty hardcore. Yes, yes. So anyway, but I I have checked out some of them, and um, I'm just glad they're bringing attention to the original properties. Uh, what are your social media media handles? How can everybody find you, your work out there, interact, show you their love? My website, uh, BillGallier.com. Um, I'm on Facebook as Bill Gallier, Instagram, Bill Gallier. So as long as they got my name, they can probably find me out there. Hey, thanks a lot, Bill. Dude, really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for stopping by. I'm happy to hear that Cousin Leroy had a comeback in one of Bill's stories, which was yeah. great. You know, Leroy has been gone <laughs> from Archie Comics for such a long time. So just to give people a little background, there was a, a character named Leroy that was Veronica Lodge's cousin. And we don't know if he was a poor relation or not, but he was a pain in the butt. And he was just, I just felt like he was there just to give Archie a hard time with Veronica. So just another uh, comedy obstacle for poor Archie Andrews having this this cousin, this little cousin that was like a terror in, in the comic book stories. And he has sort of disappeared for a very long time, but, you know, will pop up every now and then. So it was a nice surprise to hear that uh, Bill used him in a story. Certainly was. And he, uh, you know, he gave some uh, some good insight into uh, our never-ending search for answers involving Alan M. versus Fred Jones, the chicken and the egg scenario, right. who came first, so to speak. That's our great white whale, everybody. That's our Moby <laughs> Dick right there, that we will fire the heart of this show like a harpoon into until we either get some answers or die trying. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, he was leading a lot of the same questions that we've been led to right. at this point. Right. So the, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining in the hunt, Bill. And I really liked his, his feelings towards some of the, the, the newer Netflix uh, shows like uh, Sabrina, like the super dark satanic. I don't know. I've never seen the show, but it seems <laughs> to be like it's, it's pretty hardcore or Riverdale. You know, he's watched them. And man, you know, I'm going to die with a Netflix list of just half-watched shows. We all are. How he said, like, those shows are bringing a new generation of interest to Archie Comics. And I thought that was pretty cool. Some of the elements in that dark version of Sabrina can actually be tied to the comic book as well as Filmation's uh, Sabrina Mm. series from 1969-1970. That Sabrina cartoon had a lot of sort of veiled, dark elements that I think the Netflix show was able to exploit fully. You know, Bill did say that he actually liked the earlier version with Melissa Joan Hart. Right. Which really, to be fair, that series, the Sabrina series with Melissa Joan Hart, actually really did a great job putting Sabrina on the map. I mean, again, Bill's take that it's just going to lead fans to, back to the comics, you know? And right. that's that's awesome. Right. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. Bill Gallier, everyone, one of the great writers and artists of the comic book industry. It was a real treat to have, to have spoken with him. Look, we got to talk. Yeah, Thunder Talk. We're going all kinds of sideways with that sweet nerd junk. 
woke nerd junk. It's topical. Political. Dare I say radical. We've got all your latest news and reviews. Hot. Music. And a whole lot of comedy. But it ain't for kids. Definitely mature content. So let's talk. Let's talk Thunder Talk. Thunder Talk is a proud member of the ESO Network. More positive than a New Day pancake. More fun than a super kick party. It's the wrestling podcast from the host, who is the hammer swinging, burrito eating, well you know the rest, of Thunder Talk, Sexy Thor! It's the Ring of Thunder, found in the Thunderverse, and among the great podcasts of the ESO Network. So yeah, man, SC Comic-Con was a real blast. You know, Mark, one of the things that uh, Adam Weston and I ran into was, first of all, it was, I was a little rusty getting out there doing these interviews. Usually I'm like, hey, I'm Dan. I'm with ESO Network. I'm with Thunder Talk. I'm with Best Saturdays. Here's a card. Here's a card. You want to jump on the mic? I got some questions that you'll find relevant to yourself. And, and that's mainly had to do with people on the street. Uh, I want to thank Tom and Bill for being just so affable and approachable. They, they made, because I haven't shoved a mic in someone's face in a year and a half. Not since, uh, not since late 2019. Yeah, yeah. Just thinking about getting back into the convention space again, uh, my son Jomar mentioning to me that it would be great if I just had a uh, business card with a uh, QR code yeah. that would help people purchase you know, my, my book. And so there's not a lot of touching and exchanging of cards and cash going on. Ooh. I mean, these are like new things that I really need to think about and consider Yeah, and, and figure out. So uh, it's, it's a whole new world. And I'm actually looking forward to getting back in that convention space again. Yeah. Taking the year off was pretty good, too, because I feel like I needed a break. Right. You know, so hopefully by the time I get back in that convention space, I'll have the best Saturdays of our lives book, along with the Paperboy Dimensional Adventures book, which is the new book I'm working on. Uh, I'll have them both out at the same time, and it'll just be a lot of touchless exchanges in terms of uh, cash and credit cards. That's right. And, you know, just sneak preview, everyone, we're going to be hitting both Dragon Con and Power Con hard. And that's going to be week. That's going to be a weekend and then another weekend. We hit Atlanta, then we fly out to L.A. We'll get into that later. Right. I want to give, on behalf of Mark and I, a very special thank you to Mike Faber and uh, our dear friends of the ESO Network for getting in touch with SC Comic Con and getting us in there. On behalf of Mark and I, with Bill Gallier and Tom Cook, thank you too for, again, your time, your, your generosity of knowledge, and, and for the work that you've done that have entertained so many millions over the years. It was, a real, uh, it was a real highlight to be able to just share some time with those two gentlemen. Yes. The Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast is a co-production of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives studios and the Weirdos Workshop. To get a personalized signed copy of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives book, Go to the best Saturdays of our lives.com. This is Mark McRae signing off.
This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.